Thank you for joining us here on CanadianMarketWatch.com where myself, Jim Chuck, and George Sander. Talk to people in the industry. Find out what they have to say. We'll ask the tough questions. We'll ask lots of questions. If you want to join us here on Canadian Market Watch, reach out to us and be a guest on CanadianMarketWatch.com. Join the discussion. Welcome, George. This is our first time at this. We're going we're gonna to talk about the Canadian markets event on CanadianMarketWatch.com. Two guys that are going to kind of discuss the markets and invite guests in to discuss what they know. And we're going to ask some questions, just two guys not offering investment advice. And I guess we'll let people know who we are and what we're kind of, what we've been doing. Maybe start with you, George. Sure. Well, um, I run a public uh, company looking for gold, drilling holes in the ground, looking for gold and silver. I've also been involved um, with a, uh, producer and a uh, the same group of people uh, working to develop a second precious metals producer. I've been in the business since the summer of 1978, uh, mostly on the exploration and a little bit on the development side of actually trying to find uh, and extract from the ground gold and silver. Um, I've been involved in the entrepreneurial side. I've been involved in the uh, finance side as a stockbroker and corporate finance guy. And uh, uh, as Jim, as you said, Jim, we're we're not offering investment advice. We're in some uncharted territories right now, and I think it's important uh, just for people to. Uh, discuss where we are, what we see, and also to ask questions. So I'm, I'm really about uh, having conversations with as many people as possible and just posing questions for thought. Um, I guess the reason for that is that uh, uh, these, as I say, are, are potentially very scary times and we can get freaked out and panic. Or we can try and sit back and look at things and say, why is this happening? Why is that happening? And perhaps therein find some opportunities or at least find uh, some direction or some peace or uh, even in the sharing of discussions and ideas, you know, get a little comfort out of that. Right. And we're doing these, these podcasts remotely. You're in your, in your home and, and I'm, I'm here. Um, in my office, and and we're gonna we're able to do that with technology, and we're gonna invite other people to have those discussions. Um, yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm a, a CPA, and I've been, I guess, interested in Canadian markets ever since I I got my designation. Not that I'm I'm saying that designation has anything to do with what we're gonna talk about, but I, I have been involved in in investing in in stocks, and and very proud Canadian, and believe that our we are one of the richest resource nations in the world, and um, we need to responsibly mine, log, fish, farm, all that kind of stuff. And so we're going to invite people in to discuss how, as Canadians, we can move forward from these difficult times, I think, and and, and prepare for them. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, maybe add on, on your behalf that uh, you're also a successful a uh, small business operator, uh, so not just a guy who sits out there 
and uh, comments on things, but a guy who's really in the trenches uh, has payroll to meet and uh, uh, and uh, actually in, involved day to day in the nuts and bolts of the economy. And uh, in a similar way, uh, I would say we are as well. Yeah, for sure. In, you know, when we first started talking about this, we were uh, we were saying that uh, we have this amazing startup or venture capital market in Canada that's focused on natural resource, the discovery, the development, and ultimately the extraction of uh, hydrocarbons, of minerals. Uh, and and it's, it has a long history in Canada. It has a very successful history. Uh, immense wealth has been generated from it. Uh, but in the last eight years, it's been in a very uh, prolonged bear market. It is out of favor for all sorts of reasons that we can discuss in, in future conversations. And you and I said, well, you know, it would be a good idea to talk about this and to show particularly to investors who are under the age of uh, 50 uh, that in the past this has been a very exciting and viable market and, and lots, of, lots of money has been made in, in the same way that we saw happen in the uh, cannabis space and we see happening in the, I'll just call it technology space, uh, with private companies and venture capital in the United States. But I, I think before we, before we go down that road, and there's lots of future podcasts for that, um, we, we should kind of take stock of what's happened, particularly in the last couple of weeks, because markets are... Uh, changing very rapidly on a on a daily and hourly basis, and we're seeing some things that, frankly, have never never been seen before. Uh, they're they're potentially cataclysmic, and I think it's a good idea to just acknowledge those things and ask some questions about it, and to try and and get a handle on, you know, where some opportunities might might arise and you know how we might prepare for some things that are going to change our lives yeah for sure like the the tsx in the last two weeks has lost 10 years of gains um, and two weeks we were down to the point we were 10 years ago the price of oil for alberta oil yeah, you can buy a big mac meal for the same amount of money so you can choose between a barrel of oil or a Big Mac meal, and and that'll be devastating for Alberta. Let's let's just let's just circle back on that point because it's quite staggering. Uh, most most people know, or hopefully know, that the price of oil that Canadians get is not the Brent price or the West Texas Intermediate. It is a considerable discount from that. And the other day, interday, it didn't trade there, but interday, uh, Canadian oil was trading at $7 a barrel. Mm -hmm. 
and you liken that to, you know, a top-of-the-line fancy Starbucks drink. Costs the same as an oil of barrel, uh, a barrel of oil briefly cost in in this country. Um, and that, I I don't I don't <laughs> I don't even know where to begin to to in in the thought process about that. That's just staggering. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it kind of leaves you speechless actually, because I, I don't know what to say to that either. Just I imagine where the Alberta economy was before this and. And if that stays there, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll try to get somebody on here to talk about that, would know more about what that's going to do to Alberta then, and Canada for that matter, never mind Alberta. Um, we, uh, we've also had some conversation uh, that uh, you and I, that this current market situation uh, looked like it was going to happen and that the the terrible impact of this global virus is really just the straw that broke the camel's back. So we're of a of a view or subscribe to a narrative that says that these these markets coming unglued and some things going on in credit markets, which are really scary, uh, and and with oil prices, w- we're kind of came along at the same time. They weren't quite coincidental, but this isn't all the result of the virus. And we've kind of been hit in markets with uh, three, three things happening. One is the virus. And at the same time, we got hit with this uh, Russia-Saudi uh, dispute over the price of oil, which quickly dropped to the $20 level. And we also started to have the final deterioration of overvalued equity in credit markets. And the oil drop has a serious implication on credit markets because the extent to which uh, the United States shale oil boom was financed with, uh, we used to call them junk bonds, we now call them high-yield debt, and uh, there are a lot of debt covenants uh, on those instruments that would be triggered by an oil price below the cost of production. And certainly that's affecting our Canadian producers in a huge way. Um, at 7 or 10 or even if they were getting $20 uh, a barrel, uh, even U.S., that's below the cost of production. And there are all sorts of of bank loans and bonds, and all of those instruments have covenants on them. So this is a this is a very serious issue, and probably the flushing out of that uh, perhaps isn't over yet. So that's a very somber view, and and can put in perspective the fact that this ridiculous uh, pricing, where a uh, a hamburger meal uh, is 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 more expensive than the price of a barrel of oil. And there's a lot of people talking about um, if we look at the Canadian dollar and performance in the past week or so or two weeks, that that's reflective of the oil price. And yeah, I, very very much so, very and, much um, so. So that means everything that you're buying that comes out of that's priced in U.S. dollars has gone up, and and that will end up hurting. 
you know, everybody. Um, Absolutely. The the one thing that has gone up, and it has seen some offs and ons, is gold. Gold is basically holding our purchasing power, and you and I can talk about that for, for a long, long time. Both of us are, are firm believers in gold being a store of value. Um, but if we look at gold in, in most currencies, it is at near highs. And... Uh, so we also made a uh, multi-year high, not an all-time high, but we made a multi-year high in uh, a couple of weeks ago at just over $1,700 U.S. per ounce. So a multi-year high in the U.S. dollar, and then the price immediately tanked. Uh, I, I don't know the, the recent low here, but certainly uh, below $1,500 an ounce. So it, it has come off hard in the last couple of weeks. And, and yet there's an interesting dynamic going on, which is that if you think you want to take advantage of uh, the declining U.S. dollar gold price and, and you wanted to go and buy uh, ten dollars or $20,000 worth of gold coins, you would find that you were paying a lot more than the spot and that you might not get delivery of those uh, coins for a length of time, an indefinite length of time, uh, because there's very high demand. Um, and I have never seen uh, that kind of demand for physical, be they uh, little kilo bars or half kilo bars or uh, one ounce coins, quarter ounce coins, one tenth coins. I, I've never seen the demand uh, for that uh, since the early 1980s when gold was on its way to $800 an ounce. And at that time, we had a rising U.S. dollar gold price, was rising dramatically every day, and it was kind of a fear of missing out. So people were going down to the coin dealer to buy coins. This time around, we have a global demand for bullion at the same time as the price is cratering. So it's a little bit of a different psychological dynamic here. And I think it's driven by the fact that people see that uh, there are some shaky things out there in the system and that gold is a way of, uh, I guess, think thought of as insurance. It's a way to preserve your purchasing power. And your, your point uh, just now about the multiple currencies outside of the U.S. dollar, uh, gold is either at or very near all-time highs in almost all global currencies. Um, so those of us in the business uh, that follow gold closely as in, have been saying, uh, gee, look at this, it's selling off, and it's like, why is it down? It should be going up in this environment. When in fact, if you're a Canadian, the Canadian dollar gold price this week has done exactly what it's supposed to do and that is preserve your purchasing power. Yeah, by no means are we saying go out and buy gold coins, but um, 
to, to scare anybody, but I use Kitco a lot, kitco.com, and um, they haven't had any bullion for a while um, in gold coins and silver for that matter. I mean, there's some weirder looking silver stuff or larger dominations, but for denominations, but for gold coins and, and bars, it, they haven't had any for a while. So, And that, that's being reported on sites all over the place, the access to, to bullion. One of the one of the things that uh, concerns me uh, is the level of derivatives in in our financial system, and and a derivative is so named because it's a financial instrument that derives its value from an underlying solid instrument. Uh, so derivatives started in the commodities business. Uh, whereby a farmer uh, could lock in the price of his crop, be it corn or, or wheat or barley, by selling a, a futures contract. And the reason he would do that would be to manage his cash flow risk. Um, and so, uh, so that, that kind of trading... Uh, over the last 20 years has exploded into uh, a focus of trading that isn't really focused on the underlying um, species from which the derivative derives, but rather just focused on the price of the derivative itself. And so that's why, as it relates to gold, we have this strange dynamic where there's huge demand for it, but the price is declining. And, and I think it's worth sort of discussing that for a few minutes for anybody listening that what appears to be happening is levered gold contracts uh, are being liquidated as hedge funds and other major institutions and pools of capital have experienced margin calls and have had to basically sell everything. Uh, there is an old saying in, in markets that when people, uh, when markets get really dangerous, you don't sell necessarily what you want to sell, you sell what you are able to sell. And so if a large institution has a, a lot of leverage on the books, uh, and they have a little bit of, uh, they have a number of gold contracts in their portfolio as insurance. Uh, they would be inclined to keep that, but in order to meet the margin requirements, everything gets sold at fire sale prices like today. And so that's why we've seen in the last three weeks, particularly in the silver market, but also in the gold market, we've seen these dramatic uh, down days because it's liquidation. It's not just someone saying, well, this is a nice price. I think we'll, we think we'll work this position off and gradually work it into the market. No, it's sell it all right now. Uh, we don't care what price, just turn it to cash. And that's a general consensus that I hear and all the stuff that I watch on Bloomberg and stuff like that is most people are puzzled as to the sell-off, yet most come to the conclusion that it's forced liquidations because it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense that you would sell that if you didn't have to. 
Yeah. And, and a lot of uh, investors, and again, we're talking large pools of capital, whether, whether they're hedge funds or proprietary trading desks or sovereign wealth funds or pension plans, uh, the institutional investors, we're sort of lumping those all together mm -hmm. when Jim and I talk and just calling them uh, in institutional investors. Um, w when those people are playing in the precious metals market or in other commodity markets, they're not particularly interested in owning uh, 100,000 ounces of gold. They would rather own contracts to buy 100,000 ounces of gold or some other trading variation that um, amounts to the same thing and simply roll those contracts over, never actually have the bullion and never actually uh, no one is no one who sells them those contracts actually has the bullion so it's kind of a bogus at the end of the day it's a bogus market and it's it's what a lot of commentators are referring to uh, now as paper gold versus physical gold right and we're seeing the physical the disconnect the physical gold doesn't even seem to be available and then the paper gold is obviously in, in large supply. Are you seeing a lot of um, mining companies hedge or forward sell? You know, 20 years ago uh, or more, that was very popular. And in fact, uh, uh, the, large, the large, large gold mining company, Barrick, invented something that they called the perpetual hedge, which is sort of boggles the mind and we won't get into that. Um, but there was a backlash uh, in the early 2000s, and most hedge books ended up being flattened out. And the reason for that was the large investors in the, in the precious metals producers said, you know what, we're buying you in part uh, as a call or a speculation or a leverage to higher gold prices. So there was a there was a uh, a very large degree of optionality in in that trading strategy. So yeah, a lot of companies wanna, were punished for having large hedge. Books. Yes, and so so while hedging was a, is a great thing for business to manage their cash flow, uh, the shareholders said. Look, we'd rather you forego managing the cash flow so that we can have exposure to the production at higher prices, which would mean higher margins and, and all of that. So uh, there was a bunch of hedge books that eventually, um, eventually all got cleaned up and disappeared. And um, today, most producers don't hedge. And the ones that do are hedged only to the, gr the degree that a debt covenant um, requires them. So if you're building a new mine or you're doing a major mine expansion or an acquisition or something like that, and you're borrowing the money, one of the conditions of the loan is going to be that you hedge a certain amount of your production at a certain price. Um, and of course, the lender 
no surprise, the lender also has a hedging business. And of course, you have to do that through them and they get the fees on it. But the reason the reason that those covenants are there uh, in the debt instrument is because the lender says, you know, we, we want to we want some certainty here or some downside protection on your cash flow uh, to ensure that our loan is repaid. So most producers are unhedged and the ones that are are only partially hedged and only to the degree of the requirements of a debt covenant. And we've seen in the last reporting of many of the bigger, from mid-sized to bigger miners, record profits, record dividends, and stuff like that. So, um, I know. Well, that, that that's that's 100% correct, and we haven't even seen the first quarter yet. Right, we haven't seen the the price reflected of the of the increase too. Yeah, because I think a lot yep. of them are reporting on an average of 13.50 an ounce or something. Yep. Yep. So the only one that I can remember doing something recently was New Gold when they did a partnership with the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund to get $300 million for their, I think, their Rainy River deposit. But Well, they actually sold a piece of the Afton. Uh, they sold a, a piece of their Afton mine to uh, uh, in Kamloops mm. to those people. Right. Yeah. So that was a slightly different than a, than a flat-out hedge. Right. Um, but, you know, the industry has been in tough shape for quite a while. And so the operators have had to figure out how to get lean and mean. Mm-hmm. And the operating costs have, have come down considerably. I don't have the numbers sitting in front of me, but operating costs from where they were a number of years ago have, um, in most operations, have improved. And- the other big shift that we've seen in the last while that I can remember is central banks have been selling gold for on a net basis for quite a while, and that yep. shifted a few years ago, where we've seen net buying, and especially very from, much so from a couple of countries, China and Russia. Yeah, China and Russia have been the big the big buyers, but there have been many other. I think Turkey was a you know, relative to its economy, was a decent-sized buyer. Lots of European countries, for sure, have been asking uh, uh, either for their reserves to be returned to them because they've been sitting in, like, in London or in, in in the U.S., and they've been saying, we'd like our gold now, or and they've been adding to their reserves. Swiss? Very, mu- yeah, very so. much so. Very much so. So that's kind of a, a shift, right, from, from when they were saying gold was a relic and that it should be sold off to, like, and we'll take that back. Yeah. The, you know, the, the thing about gold, and, and particularly for any younger listeners on, on this, is sort of, well, you know, we don't get it. You can't do anything with it. It just it's, it looks pretty. And, but there is a greater than 5,000-year history mm-hmm. of, gold, of gold being of value and, uh, and sound money. And I shared an example with a, a young person just recently, cause, and I just used myself as an example. And I said, when I came to Kelowna 20 years ago, if I would have taken uh, the price of my home and, and put that amount of gold away and, and put that amount of cash away and um, left it there in a hole or whatever you want to call it, the gold and the, and the cash, and, and uh, 20 years now have gone by, with that same amount of gold 
I can buy more house than I can right now because the house has obviously gone up about you know four times in value, but the gold has as well, and I can buy. I think the example was the home was two hundred eighty thousand dollars, and and um, that same amount of gold was now worth I think like one point four million, and and the home would be a little bit less than that, so I'd have a little excess cash. That same amount of cash, I'd be lucky to. I wouldn't be able to buy the land. Yeah. With that same amount of, of cash. I mean, I know people will say, well, the cash could have been employed, but I mean, you can do a lot of different things. But we're just saying the hard asset itself, the real estate went up, as did the gold, because both of them are great stores of value. And um, I think that's a really good example. And then there's tons of examples where you go back to suits in the 1930s and Roman uh, armor and all that kind of stuff. And uh, gold has, has done its job most of the time in, in c- preserving wealth. Absolutely, and and we have been in an era ah, for a long time, uh, decades. We've been in a financial asset era, and I'm asking the question of myself and of my friends like Jim. I'm I'm asking the question: Is the activity of the last month? an indication that the era of financial assets, uh, as we have known and experienced it, is that era over. Uh, my own conclusion is yes, that it, yes it is. Uh, but in today's world, everything happens instantaneously. And I'm sure readers have heard uh, or read uh, articles or commentary or seeing the charts that these declines that have happened in the last two weeks are the quickest in the history of American capital markets, which goes back to the you know mid 1700s, and and never before have have declines of this percentage happened in such a short period of time. And everything in our world happens in a quicker uh, because of the interconnectedness, mostly through tech, through technology. Um, so my own view is, and you likely share it, is that we are we are finishing the era of uh, the dominance of financial assets, and we will be moving into the era of hard assets, at least for a while. And um, so hard assets are uh, things you dig out of the ground, things you pump out of the ground, uh, the ground itself, trees that grow on the ground, crops that grow on the ground, uh, to a degree, uh, jewelry and art, uh, although those things have experienced uh, some inflated prices. Um, but other things are, again, in, in my own view, uh, fancy ostentatious displays of wealth that don't include real estate, like hot cars and those kinds of things, um, that may be quickly coming to an end. I think everybody gets to see now, like, I know the last financial crisis is like, in 2008, and then most people thought it was just a, a financial crisis, and some people felt some pain. But like, 
this one really illustrates at the at the base level in a community how the money flow dries up and how each each business affects the other business and and I think that's what we're going to see in the in the in the markets in general that the money flow that's been so easy to flow out there which has created this financial bubble um that money dries up and if we look at like debt debt charts and stuff like that i don't know how they reinflate it i i i honestly don't know and i don't even think it's possible because i think there's going to be a lot of scared people for a while and if they can't reinflate it that that means it only goes down and each and it just chops down and um people may see buying opportunities because it's it's gone down and i and i always one of the stories that always comes back to me you remember research in motion rim the stock which was yep. a canadian darling and then i i think it was like 150 bucks at its peak i can't remember it's been a while now but it was like 120 150 and then it got beat up bad in the smartphone when Apple introduced their smartphone and then uh, people were phoning me at $20 and telling me what a great deal it was and how, you know, should they be buying it and stuff like that. And obviously I don't offer advice, but I said, if you think it's such a great deal, just wait a little while, it'd be a better deal. <laughs> sure enough, in a, in a couple of weeks, it was two bucks or something like that, right? So, and, I, and I'd say that I'm not giving advice, but I'd say like in this market, I would let the bottom define itself before you try to guess the market. And you know that the falling knife type thing too, right? So... And I think right now that um, there's a lot more people looking for cash than there is, you know, cash well, coming in. I, I think that's a, I think that's important for people to try to understand. And once again, our our theme here is to encourage people, you know, not to get freaked out, but to sort of ask ask questions and to kind of circle back to to some earlier points in the conversation. And when I mentioned that. You know, the, the, the virus is just the straw that broke the camel's back. And illustrative of that is that this trouble really started, well, it started a long time ago, but it really, the crack became evident in September when the Federal Reserve uh, showed up at the overnight repurchase window or, or repo market. And we can do another talk on that at another time. It's quite complicated stuff. Most people don't follow it. Uh, and the ones that might know about it, most people don't even know about it. But it, it's the very fundamental sort of lubrication or grease uh, on the parts of the economy. And that is, that is the overnight lending market. And in mid-September, that rate all of a sudden jumped from uh one and a half two percent it jumped to over ten percent very briefly and the federal reserve stepped in for a mere 50 billion dollars and they said it was temporary just to get the credit markets back under control the reason for that jump is that one financial institution was probably had some shaky collateral or their collateral was maybe not enough and the other financial institutions didn't want to deal with it. And some said, okay, we'll deal with it, but you're, we're going to charge you 10% instead of one and a half percent. And so the federal reserve was there, um, as a, as a backstop 
They said temporarily. Six months later, they've been there every night. Uh, the amounts have been steadily increasing. Uh, a week ago today, they announced they were there for uh, something like half a half a trillion dollars, 500 billion, so 10 times the original amount. And then uh, partway through the day on Friday afternoon, they announced they will be there for one trillion dollars every trading day for the rest of the month of March. And they're calling that temporary as well. So what that means is that financial institutions are very wary of each other's condition and they're reluctant to lend the money overnight. So uh, so if the, if the Federal Reserve accommodates that for a huge amount of money uh, or it encourages the overnight lending between institutions, uh, that money is getting hoarded. And where people have had, again, large pools of capital, have had large bets that are levered. They're not just, I'll bet you... 50 bucks. It's I'll bet you 50 bucks and then you sell that. If anybody's seen the movie The Big Short, uh, there's a scene at the craps table where there's an actual bet on the craps table, but among the people watching, that bet has been magnified up 30 or 40 times. Uh, so when when that happens and, and those those people that are on the wrong side of those bets are trying to liquidate their position, uh, the, per the person who buys that is saying, oh, great, I got some cash uh, back. I am not going to do anything with that cash. So we're, we're in an environment where the cash stops flowing and at the, at the basis of people walking around in their community, uh, that means um, uh, that people aren't spending the money, suppliers are wanting their payments up front, all of that kind of stuff. You exacerbate that by closing down businesses for a month or two and everybody staying home and basically in hoarding mode, uh, your economy is going to grind to a halt. And so... I think it's important that all of us ask questions, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, although it appears that it's happening as we speak. So we have to ask ourselves the question, well, how, how do we deal with that? You know, what, what, what are we going to do about that? What, are, are there opportunities there? Does that mean I should curtail my lifestyle a little bit? Um, you know, and, and those are more serious questions about then where do I find more toilet paper, for goodness mm -hmm. sake. Like some, uh, I think Jim Sinclair used to say, financial instru instruments of mutual destruction. And, um, and I, th I think that might be more, more the case, right? Um, but we could talk all day. We've gone about 40 minutes now. Yeah, I was just... So yeah. our, our point is that we try to want to stay in that 35 to 40-minute mark, and then we're going to see if we can find our next guest and talk about some of the things that are affecting the world. The, the oil one would be a great per, uh, one, or somebody in the, in the industry in, in gold or resources or money and 
We'll see who we can shake the bushes. If you're one of those people you want to reach out to us, that'd be great as well. Great. Well, Jim, uh, good to have a, one of our many conversations, but this time with an audience. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks. Talk George. to you soon. Yep. Bye. And that has been another podcast on CanadianMarketWatch.com with myself, Jim Check, and George Sanders. Ask the question. If you would like to join us here on CanadianMarketWatch.com, reach out to us, contact us, and let us know that you want to be on the show. We'd love to hear from you.